Well, welcome everybody. Go ahead and grab a seat. You guys survived the weather out there. Anywhere else in the country, they'd be like, it's a normal day. But I know for us Marinites, we're like, whoa, it was bad out there. Well, I'm glad you guys braved it and I'm glad that we're here together. My name is Ben Kearns. I'm one of the lead pastors here. And uh, here's one of the coolest things about being a part of a church, uh, especially if you're a man, being a part of the church means that you get to experience a miracle. I didn't know this was a miracle, but it turns out if you're a man and you have friends outside of your spouse, like you've experienced a miracle. And... <laughs> I actually have friends outside of my spouse, and I just think it's, it's a miracle. And uh, one of my groupings of friends, we're all uh, ministry leaders. And uh, we met when we were all in our early 30s. Um, and we were all youth pastors, and we would go to these different denominational gatherings. And because we were poor youth pastors with no budgets, we would all like cram into rooms. And so we would sleep over, under in beds. Sometimes now we even sleep under, under in beds. But four grown men would sleep in hotel rooms. And now you guys who travel for business, you're like, what are you doing? You get your own hotel room. But in the church world, you have like this budget. And you're like, oh, well, if I want to eat, I'm going to share a room. And, uh, and so I've, I've slept with this group of guys more than anyone else in my entire life outside of my wife. And, uh, and so now we've been, about five years ago, we said, hey, we're actually really good friends. We actually should be intentional friends because we need to be, we're ministry leaders, right? And we want to make sure that we, we still love Jesus. We still love the church. We'll make sure we still love our spouse and our families. And, uh, and then when the colonoscopy comes back, we need someone that we're going to call. Like, and so we just, like, like we wanted to prepare. Like, and, and we've been around the church and we see the older guys. We go, yes, the older guys who have these people, they're doing it right. And so we go, let's plan. And so about five years ago, we said, we're going to do this intentional thing. And uh, so this is my, my uh, group of buddies. And, uh, and now once a year in the fall, um, we go out together. And this year we went to Breckenridge, a buddy of mine, because we're all church people. We all know generous people. He's like, I know this guy in Breckenridge. We're like, boom. Except it was a small place in Breckenridge, but it sounds super boss, right? So we go to Breckenridge and we're having this great time. And here's what's hard. You have four ministry leaders, right? We are leaders. And what's interesting is the dynamic of taking four leaders trying to do anything. And what I didn't realize is I feel like I'm a pretty go with the flow kind of person, but the truth is I am a leader, right? And so it's in the morning and so let's go get coffee. And so we're like, hey, we drove by the Starbucks and we're like, well, let's go to the Starbucks and we, we go here or there's this restaurant. And watching us all try to negotiate was really interesting. Well, my buddy, Nate, he is the guy in the middle who actually looks the kindest of the four of us. He, um, he's... He, you know, this is his place, his buddy's place. He's actually been to Breckenridge a bunch. And he'd be like, well, there's this really cool coffee shop, you know, down the road that's like, has local, blah, 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 blah. And we're like, well, that's cool, but there's a Starbucks here. And the three of us would be like, wow, we would like, we would be leaders and we would like, you know, crush him. And he's like, there's this really cool lunch place that's up the road and like, you just have to go out of the way. And we're like, no, that's cool, we'll do this. And, and basically everything he would suggest, he was just so like kind, we were, but we're leaders. And so we just you know, steamroll over him. And it basically, it took us, you know, finally we realized, oh my goodness, Nate, He's like the concierge. Like, you know, there's people who love planning. And like the people who love planning, they make things so beautiful. And he knew, gosh, there's this coffee shop and you're going to love it. And there's, there's this hike and you're going to love it. And there's this restaurant and you're going to love it. And by the end, we're like, we should probably just listen to Nate. None of us have been to Breckenridge before. This is his spot. We should probably listen to Nate. And, uh, and, and knowing that Nate was going to take such good care of us, it was actually pretty easy, right? When you know, gosh, he is one of my best friends. He's been there before. He wants to bless us. We should probably just follow him. And it's funny, in my guts, I don't want to follow him. I do not want to follow even my friend. And it was this brutal real realization that I am not a good follower. 
Even when I don't even know what I'm talking about, I am not a good follower. And the reason why I bring that up is because the journey with Jesus, this idea of discipleship, the call, this, thing, this, this journey that we're going to be on, really our whole lives, but this whole fall, we're looking at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And really, at the end of the day, being a disciple of Jesus means that we are going to be followers of Jesus. And here's the hard truth. We don't follow anybody. Nobody tells us what to do. In fact, we want to be awesome, and we want to be strong, and we want to be independent. And so it's such an anathema to be followers of Jesus, yet ultimately that's what Jesus calls us to do. And so we've broken up this series into four parts, and this is we're rounding the corner of this first part, which is what does Jesus require of us? And we talked about proximity. You know, Shelly talked about being available to be interrupted. Uh, Jeff last week talked about giving Jesus access to our drawers. That felt kind of intimate, but you know what I'm saying? Like to give Jesus access to our lives. And then here's the hard one, right? That we actually are to follow him, to be disciples of Jesus means that we should be in the posture to follow him. So here's the definition that we've been using so far, that a disciple is somebody who follows, that's the hard part, who follows, because I like the disciple is someone who learns from, that's great, but who follows, learns from, and lives like Jesus. This means that we conform our words and our ways to the words and ways of Jesus. So this morning, we're going to take a look at an encounter that Jesus had with one of a, a famous guy in the Bible. And, uh, and there's going to be some really good encouragement in it. And if you're at all rebellious like me, there's going to be a couple little pokes, but I hope you enjoy that. So if you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 10, and that's where we're going to find ourselves this morning. Right? So if you're in the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John, the four Gospels, four stories of Jesus. Um, if you have a church Bible, will you just shout out the number so we can make sure we're all on the same page? 1013. Mark, chapter 10. So this is the story of blind Bartimaeus. It's better than being doubting Thomas, right? I guess you'd rather be blind Bartimaeus. So here we are in verse 46. So then they, this is the disciples and Jesus, they came to Jericho. And as Jesus and his, his disciples were together with a large crowd, they were leaving the city. And a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting on the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, Jesus stopped him and said, call him. So they call the blind man, cheer up, get on your feet. He's calling you. So he throws his cloak aside. He jumps on his feet. And he comes to Jesus. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? So the blind man says, Rabbi, I want to see. Well, go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now, this is a really interesting story. And if, you, if you've done any reading about it, it's like, oh, if you have faith in Jesus, he'll heal you. And then you can go follow Jesus down the road. But what's interesting is there's so much that's happening in this passage of scripture. And so it begins with this, they come to Jericho. So the disciples and Jesus, they're on their way to Jericho. And, um, and in Jericho is the city is about 15 to 18 miles outside of Jerusalem. It's like the big city on the way to Jerusalem. And there's all these pilgrims on their way to the Passover feast. So people from Galilee and from all these different areas in, in Judea, they've all traveled and they're on their way to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. So they're in Jericho. So the city is bustling. And it's bustling, not just with people, but with religious people. I mean, if you're a pilgrim, you are expectant for God to do something. There's all these expectant people showing up in Jerusalem. And Jesus and his disciples are on the, they're traveling through uh, Jericho. And there's this blind person, right? And if you know even the slightest bit, if you can't see, your other senses, right, kind of tend to make up for it. So think about it. He would, might have great hearing. 
So he's blind. The city is bustling. He hears all these pilgrims. And this is the end of Jesus' ministry, right? So he's hearing about this rabbi, this teacher, this maybe Messiah. He's hearing about this Jesus. And, and so all this bustling is happening. And he hears that, that, that this Jesus person is coming. And he shouts, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it's interesting because he says, son of David which is this messianic title. And all through Jesus' ministry, if you remember, anyone who's like, hey, are you the Messiah? Are you the king? Are you God? He's like, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. No, I'm not. Like he, he like totally had this like secret posture, right? But this is actually the second time Peter, a few chapters earlier, says, Jesus, you are the Messiah. And this blind person says, Jesus, son of David. And Jesus doesn't correct either of those. How cool this blind beggar gets to be one of the two people that proclaim who Jesus' true identity is. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What I love is then because many rebuked him, right? It's, and you, you get this, right? Jesus is an important person. He's making his way through the city and all these people are trying to get to him. And so all of Jesus' like main people are like, hey, you guys stay away. Jesus is on his way somewhere. You stay away. And this guy, he's desperate. He's desperate. So he doesn't care what these people say. So he screams even louder. And I don't know if you're like a screamer. I'm not a screamer, but he screams even louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Enough that Jesus right hears him, right? So then Jesus calls for him. I love this. They say, cheer up. <laughs> like, fine, you got his attention. Cheer up. You made the cut. Get on over here. And they go, and they says, what do you want me to do for you? He says, I want you to see. Go. Your faith has healed you. This is where I think is wild. He's this desperate person. He wants Jesus to heal him. Jesus heals him. And then Jesus says, go, which is like our dream. It's actually how we really live. Jesus, I need this from you. Jesus shows up, and they're like, deuces. Thank you. Like that is like the dream. That's like our dream spirituality for us to need Jesus. Jesus show up and then us to just go on our way. Jesus even gives them freedom. Go, your faith has healed you. But instead he goes and follows Jesus down the road, which sounds kind of cool, except that down the road is to Jerusalem, to Holy Week, to the cross. That's kind of gnarly. And what's interesting is very few people who are healed by Jesus, Jesus actually gives, says their words. He says, I mean, says their names. Like there's all these just unnamed people. You know, there's Mary uh, Magdalene who was uh, possessed by demons and Lazarus who was raised from the dead. And then this blind Bartimaeus. And so, I mean, there's all sorts of speculation and the speculation is great. So maybe right or maybe wrong. I don't know, but it's interesting to think this was a real life person. And why would they name this real life person? And the best speculation I heard was that well, this person actually did follow Jesus down the road. He was actually part of the Christian community. He actually became a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. And almost everyone who followed Jesus, even though they encountered the resurrection, encountered healing, almost all of them were martyred. So it's not like a great thing, right? But he followed him down the road. And so this morning, we're going to just look at a couple of things that just stood out to me. Um, and like, I think there's one really great invitation and encouragement. And then I found kind of three little gut checks, but how great that Jesus is merciful to all of us. So you feel like jumping in this a little bit? I mean, what are you going to say? You're at church. You're like, I guess it's awkward to leave at this point. Okay. Okay. So here's the first question. This is the invitation. This is the gift. This is why Jesus is so awesome. How desperate are you? Let's be honest, we're Marin people, so we're not that desperate. Like we want to be. Maybe in our deepest, darkest, we're broken and sad and we need Jesus. But the truth is we, we try everything before we get to Jesus. Like, so how desperate, desperate are we, right? But people who are desperate, Jesus sees them. He stops for them. He cares for them. 
I mean, what I love is like desperate people have their lives changed by Jesus, right? There's all these different parables that Jesus talks about, that Jesus, right, he came for the sick, he didn't come for the healthy, that who's gonna love him more, the person who's been forgiven a lot or the person that's gonna be forgiven a little, right? Desperate people encounter Jesus and their lives are dramatically changed. Those of us who hate being desperate, our lives unfortunately get incremental change. It's this slow, slow change because we're not willing to own our desperation, but desperate people encounter Jesus. And like, what does this picture have to do with desperation? Well, because like I said, I hate being desperate. I spend my whole life guarding desperation. Um, I actually had a moment of desperation and this was like, gosh, 10 years ago. And I still like, even thinking about the story makes me, my skin still crawl. Um, I took my family on a, on a little family trip to Mexico because I thought that's what you're supposed to do to help your kids, you know, experience Mexico. I don't know why we went to Mexico and we go to this beach and, uh, you know, there's just tons of shops everywhere. There's tons of people selling things everywhere. The water's all warm. We're like, how fun is this? Katie takes Noah on a little walk and I'm with Mackenzie, precious five-year-old Mackenzie. She's so, so cute. If you see her now, you're like, what? But back then, so <laughs> cute. And we're walking along the beach, holding hands, having a great time. And you know, I get distracted by something and she runs this way. Well, we get separated on a beach in Mexico. Do I speak Spanish? No. Do I know anything? No. Do I even know where my family, like their cell phones work? I mean, nothing, right? And there's this like parent desperation, right? You're like, she's got to be here somewhere. She's got to be here somewhere. And like, if you know me, like I am cool, calm, collected. I never scream. I am not a screamer. I have a logical plan all the time. And I freaked out. My precious daughter is lost in Mexico. And what am I going to do? And all of a sudden, like, Mackenzie, Mackenzie, Mackenzie. And no shame, just Mackenzie. And I'm running down the street, I mean, screaming, Mackenzie, Mackenzie. Because, like, my precious daughter is gone. And some little lady down the way gave her a little fruit thing. And she was as happy as content, right? 30 seconds. Like, how lame. There's people who have true desperation. And so I cannot believe living in that pain and in that chaos for more than 30 seconds. But gosh, people do. Some of you do. Desperation is so scary. Even a stoic person like me will scream and freak out. And how awesome oh, that our God sees us. He sees the desperate. He appreciates us stoic people, but he sees the desperate, and he meets them. He does. Like the most incredible stories we ever hear about people in faith are people who are desperate. I'm glad that God uses us normal people, but it's the desperate people whose lives are changed. And so if you are desperate or you're pretending not to be desperate, that is just the incredible invitation for all of us, that Jesus sees us. He bends down to us. He longs to meet us in our desperation, to care for us, to walk with us, to see us. And even if he doesn't answer our prayer, because gosh, how much tragedy can, can a community encounter? Like we know tragedy. So it's not, Jesus isn't gonna always heal the way we want. He's not gonna answer the way we want, but he does see us. He does give us his Holy Spirit. He does care for us. And that's been the testimony of Christians forever and ever and ever. Praise God for that. Here's what's crazy too. Not only does he care for us and see us, but sometimes he even answers our prayers, right? Sometimes we even get the gentle, well, what is it that you want? And he answers it. So here's the second question. What is it that you want? 
Are you willing to ask Jesus for something? And what's interesting is, this is, this is, this is what was challenging for me. If Jesus in my semi-desperation will meet me and answer me in this way, then I'm golden, right? Then, I'll, then I'm following, then I'm in, then I'll do whatever he says. If I just need help in this moment. If he, if he shows up, then I'm good. And I picked this picture of Dory from Finding Nemo because Dory, right, doesn't remember anything. Her memory's five seconds long. And I, I looked, I, I realized I have journals every year since I was 19, every year. My disciple in college, like, you got a journal. So every year I have a journal, everywhere. And every one of those journals is jam-packed of me going, God, I need this. God, I want this. God, I need this. And what's so funny is I write down these prayers, these things I need, and then I forget. I move on to the next thing, to the next crisis. But what's crazy is God showed up and answered my totally immature, totally selfish, totally needy prayers. And all the ways, I'm like, I'm just throwing temper tantrums. God shows up and he answers my prayers. How cool is that? But what's interesting is, I don't know if this is you, but this is what I really wrestled with is, I'm willing to follow Jesus today because I have a a short memory of when he showed up last. But then if something hard happens, then I kind of pause my journey with Jesus. I'm gonna wait. And I'm gonna let, if Jesus shows up again, then I'll follow him again. And then he shows up or I forget and then I go a little bit down the road. But what's so interesting, you read in scripture Jesus shows up pretty infrequently in people's lives. He does these one big things here and there, and then people just live lives being faithful. It's a dark night of the soul, being martyred, suffering, living these really hard lives that we would just like crumble under. And yet, because we need Jesus every minute, every moment to answer all of our things like little kids, which is how gracious that God's like, okay, I gotcha. But this invitation to discipleship is, are we willing to follow Jesus because of who Jesus is? because he is the Messiah, because he's the son of David, because he is the king, because we are part of his kingdom. Are we willing to follow him? Gosh, it was a humbling week for me because I'm like, I don't know, because I'm a temper tantrum thrower. So one, one little thought is just, what is it that you need? How gracious that God will actually bend down and hear and listen to you. But a little discipline would be, write down what you need. And come back to it because you, we have to remember that gracious meets us in our temper tantrums, that God shows up and answers our prayers. And when he does, when we can collect you know, 25 years of journals of different small ways that God has shown up, then I'm like, okay, maybe there's something bigger that's going on than just God not doing it. It's something about me, right? So what is something you're desperate for? What is something you want? How many things do you want before you're willing to follow Jesus? That was my like kind of gut check all week. All right, here's a little sidebar. I thought this was super fascinating. Here's a little sidebar. Don't miss the point. Now, if you know anything about sports, every single sport, whoever has the most points wins, right? Except for soccer. I still don't understand that. But in every other sport, whoever has the most points, they win. Except for golf, right? If that was the case, I would be the best golfer. Turns out whoever's the lowest points wins at golf. And what I think is so funny is, the people in this story so miss the point. Because if we spend our whole life trying to get the most points, and then Jesus is like, no, no, it's not about the most points, it's about the lowest points. We're like, yeah, that's great for you, Jesus, but it's about the most points for me. No, no, it's about the lowest points. We kind of have this negotiation with Jesus back and forth. What's so wild is I just don't know how Jesus tolerates us, how he just keeps putting up with us. Jesus for three years is like, the desperate people, they're my people. 
The sinners are my people. The poor are my people. The oppressed are my people. The Samaritan woman is my people. These are my people. And yet, whenever Jesus is getting harassed, all of his disciples are like, okay, you're a little too poor and desperate. Jesus is really important. You're too poor and desperate. Like the crowd, like here's this desperate person coming to Jesus who if they've been paying attention, the point is for that person to have access to Jesus. And yet the important people are trying to protect Jesus going, no, this is too hard for Jesus. He's got a lot on his mind. And then Jesus actually Come on, like they did with the, with, the, with the little children. They did it here, right? They cut through the whole garbage and they go, Jesus goes, okay, call him to me. And then I love it. They go, cheer up. I wish I knew Greek because I, I mean, that just feels so snarky. Cheer up. He heard you. Come on. Like they just missed it. They missed it. And another kind of challenge for me is I am so, and it is, it's genuinely out of my love for Jesus. Like I love him. I love the church. I cannot believe that we get to gather together to know God, to love God, to walk with God together. I love it. So I'm always on the lookout for danger. I get it. I get when certain people show up or certain types of people or certain things come up in culture that I'm like, my first thought is, oh, it's a danger, danger. I don't want Jesus' name to be marred. I don't want our church to be in danger. And so I get it. I wanna bar the doors. I wanna like lock our social media. I wanna keep us safe. I totally resonate with that. But here's what's awesome. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah. He's not scared of you or your brokenness or people who are not like you or things that are happening in culture. He's like, I came for this stuff. I came for the messy stuff. We're like, no, no, no. We gotta have good coffee. Like, don't mess up our coffee. No, I'm just kidding. That's a little too, you know, I'm, but you know what I'm trying to say, right? So I think there's another good challenge for us that we don't want to miss the point. In our love for Jesus, in our own desperation, in our own brokenness, in our own neediness, wanting to feel safe because everything is so unknown. As we move to following Jesus, we want to actually be people who follow Jesus, which means we do not need to be scared or fearful about anyone or anything. I mean, Jesus found you for crying out loud. He for sure can find these other people, right? We do not need to be scared by anyone or anything. And I get it, as a fearful person, I totally get that that's the case. But gosh, I do not want to miss the point. And there's no way that we can read through the ministry of Jesus and, and, and see it any other way. And yet we see his disciples over and over and over again, trying to keep the riffraff away from Jesus. And my prayer is that, gosh, more of the riffraff, more of the broken people, because the truth is we are, all are, we all just present a certain way. But wouldn't it be great if we, if we all just put our outsides I mean, our insides and put them outside, like we are the riffraff. And just because we can present better for a whole hour, gosh, that's not it, right? We want to be like, no, like that song that the band's saying, mercy, mercy. Okay, so here's the last question. Will you follow Jesus down the road? And that's the invitation. And what I love is that Jesus in his generosity just heals. He's like, I love you. You need this thing. I got you, go. Live your life, be healed. How cool is that? And then the invitation is, whoa, I could just go and now I have my eyesight and go and live my life. Or the guy who changed my life, I'm gonna actually go and follow him down the road. And what's interesting is when we follow Jesus down the road, there's a couple things, few things that we love, love, and there's a couple things that we hate. Here's a couple things that we love. 
man, I will follow Jesus because he sees me, he heals me, he forgives me. My broken, rebellious, gross, habitual, addictive, ugh, he, he forgives me and he heals me and he transforms me. And because I've experienced his healing and transformation, I'm like, oh, I want more of that. Jesus, he offers the abundant life. And we do this, we talk about this all the time in John 15, right? To be connected to the vine. When we're connected to Jesus, we bear fruit. We live this abundant life. And it's true. If you do all the things that Jesus talks about, you are going to live a great life. Now, it's, it is. It's a very delicate balance between self-help and self-fulfillment and willing to follow Jesus down the road. The forgiveness of our sins, the life uh, abundant life, those are fruits. Those are the goodies. Those are the, those, are the, the, those are the Christmassy gifts. But the mature, adulting followers of Jesus are disciples who say, no, we're going to follow Jesus down the road, even to Jerusalem, to the cross. A while ago, uh, I saw that movie, 1917. It was a movie about World War I, and World War I, it, it just fascinates me, mostly because it just... It is raw carnage. Like, and if you know anything about history, before the dawn of World War I, humans thought they were awesome. Like, the Europeans were like, we are crushing. We are the best people ever. Look at our art and look at our liberalness and look how great everything is. And all of a sudden, like that, the most evil, desperate, grossest part of humanity just poured out. And trench warfare is the thing that like scares me. Like I'm, I'm like thankful that there's nuclear war now. So if we go to war, we're never going trench warfare, right? It's so scary. But I never understood these young men, they walk up to the trench, their leader blows the whistle and they go up over the trench to their death. And we were so much smarter than them. We're like, that's stupid. I'm not doing it, right? It makes no sense to me. Why would I, the only way I'm ever giving up my life is if someone captures it on YouTube and I become, you know, famous online. That's the only way I'm doing that. Like we do not, like duty and giving up our lives for something bigger, like it is so far beyond our worldview. And yet back then, like millions of people did that. And I just, I think about that because what a different world it is for us that we are not followers. We will not give our lives barely for our family, let alone for something that's abstract or unknown, bigger than us. And yet we're invited to be servants in a kingdom, in the eternal kingdom. We're not just fighting for France or Germany in World War I. We're talking about the kingdom of God. And God is saying he wants his people, his healed people, his forgiven people, his people who have been made whole in Christ to now follow him to the point of death. Can you imagine that? If we are willing to lay down our lives for the sake of Christ, for the sake of his glory, for the sake of the expansion of his kingdom, gosh, that is different than anywhere in culture. Everyone in culture wants a good life. Gosh, we do too. But are we willing to follow Jesus down the road to Jerusalem? Ugh, I don't even have an application for that because that's like, that's what I've been sitting with all week. Even as a pastor, someone who loves Jesus, loves the church, gosh, am I willing to give up my life for the sake of the kingdom, my feelings and my rights for the sake of those around me. Well, I'm gonna invite the band out and I'm just gonna spend a moment in prayer. And maybe one of those questions resonates with you. Gosh, are you desperate? And if so, please know that God 
sees you and longs to hear your cry. What is it that you want? Or how has God answered the things that you've wanted? And the last thing is, are you willing to follow Jesus down the road to Jerusalem? Gosh, what does that mean? Thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit to help us figure that out. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Heavenly Father, you are so generous to us, your people, so generous to me. I just feel like a, a child with temper tantrums all the time. And yet you are long-suffering, you are patient, you are gracious, you are continually meeting all of us exactly where we're at. You see us, you care for us. Through your death on the cross, you've made a way for us to be adopted into your family. We've received the gift of the Holy Spirit to be empowered and transformed. And now, God, we just beg for you to continue to mature us, that we would take our transformed lives, our lives that are being made whole because of you, and are willing to employ them to your service, even to Jerusalem. So God, I pray that you would inspire us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You'd help us to see the things that we may need to die to, things we may need to give up because our life ultimately is about serving you and your kingdom. And thank you for your patience and long suffering as we figure all this out. We pray that you'd have your way in us and through us for your glory. And all of God's kids said, Amen and amen. Let's stand as we continue to worship.